Okay, welcome. Thank you for coming. It's the 6th of February, week 5 on the Beatitudes. Can't guarantee we'll stay there. Lots of stuff happening. Um, I've been listening again to um, Graham Cook's CDs on um, permission granted, which he did last year. It was the last year's Vacaville conference. And this year is going to be the Way of the Warrior. Looking forward to that one. Already put my order in for the CDs when they come out. Um, but going back over the CDs, I'm hearing things that I just didn't hear before. I heard them once, I think. Um, and then got stuck in the prophetic soaking CD that we listened to so much. But without really hearing the, the other um, stuff that he was talking about. And I've been caught up in the first sort of five tracks on uh, um, permission granted where he talks about God's plan from before the foundation of the earth to have a bride for his son and he links from before the foundation of the earth right through to Revelation 13.8 uh, where the, the lamb is slain from the foundation of the earth and he talks about when God conceives something, it's a done deal. That the moment he speaks it, it's as good as done. It's done, as far as he's concerned. So if you've got a promise from God about any particular situation, it's done as far as he's concerned, because the moment he spoke it, it's done. It may not be showing up yet, but it's done, because he said he's going to do it. And... Um, Something that keeps coming back to me is uh, a rabbi was asked what's God been doing for the last six or seven thousand years and he said making matches. He first made a match in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve and he's been making a match for his son ever since. Because the whole purpose of God's interaction with us is to provide his son with a bride. We can, we can lose track of that when we get caught up in every day we get caught up in what the church is doing we get caught up in having to witness or do whatever our church happens to say we need to be doing but actually uh, what God is after is a bride and we most of us find at the moment that he's focusing on us rather than in salvation of the lost he'll take care of that but he's focusing on preparing the bride for his son and it's like he's saying as I've said in the next baton, coming ready or not, because that was the word he gave me at the beginning of 2007, that he's coming ready or not, and mostly we've not been ready. Um, but it's not, it's not a threat. It's like he's playing hide-and-seek with us, and, or we've been playing hide-and-seek with him. And it's time now that we get serious about kingdom business, and that's the message that's coming through everywhere, really. The time that we're in in, in God is that he wants us to match his purposefulness the way that Graham puts it is that he is intentional towards us and we need to get intentional towards him that it's not sufficient to have a desire for God which he has planted in you but that desire needs to be given back to him and saying I'm, I'm pursuing you too you may be pursuing me but I'm pursuing you one of the lovely things that's uh, made me smile so much about uh, what Graham has said about the bride is that that God is so overwhelmed with the bride that when she stands before him and gazes deep into his eyes she knows she can get anything she wants from him because he adores her so much 
<laughs> and I thought that appeals to any woman who's ever really been loved and known that she could exactly get what she wants and he says in part of it we're going to take you for all you've got because we know that you're absolutely besotted with us uh, that doesn't leave aside um, the fact of God's dealing with us but it, said, it shows us how he actually feels towards us he utterly adores us you are the adored of God. You are the beloved of God. Um, on, on part of it, he ends up saying that God is saying, you're my woman. And that was, to me, so earthy. It was such an earthy statement that it sort of made me tingle all over. You're my woman. You know, in, in other words, don't let anybody touch you because you're my woman. You're mine. And there was that possessiveness about what God was saying because he was going between teaching and prophesying all the way through the thing. Uh, absolutely brilliant stuff. And the, part of the intentionality is that you want something then you choose something and you dare to believe it. That's the way it seems to me anyway. Because God puts that desire in your heart that you respond to and then you dare to believe that he's going to give it to you. And it will always be to do with his relationship to you and yours to him. It won't be the desire uh, to have a Lamborghini or whatever. That's not the sort of desire he's talking about. It's the desire that he has put in you uh, to draw you. Leneve was here for a couple of days over the weekend. And she was sharing with me that God had said that, you know, she sings and she goes around to clubs and places and does gigs there and sings secular stuff and there's one particular song that she's been singing in, in a Spanish bar and it's uh, There Was A Boy, A Strange Enchanted Boy it's an old song from way back and she goes off into uh, extemporising with the guitarist and the Lord showed her and she saw a reaction in the people that were listening and he showed her that her mouth became a trumpet and out of that trumpet came a needle and thread and the music was going into the people's hearts and drawing them so his spirit was drawing them through the music by linking each heart and pulling it here she is, secular bar, booze, smoke, I expect all the stuff you know yeah, Sorry? No, no smoking, smoking now. No. Uh, and and uh, uh, so all this is going on while she is apparently doing a gig. We, we have missed it so badly with giving the gospel to people because half the time it isn't good news at all that we give them. A, it's, a, it's like a crust when we've left the rest of the loaf behind. You know, you can have this. Oh, yeah. Better to gnaw on than nothing. You know, that's we, we have been so robbed by the enemy so Jesus is declaring God's intention uh, and he's declared that he says it's his good pleasure that we should inherit the kingdom so welcome to your inheritance prepared and chosen before the foundation of the world it's long established and purposeful this isn't something God has suddenly thought oh I've got that lovely little group at Five Oak Green I think I'll give them the kingdom this was all planned and plotted out. As Graham says, he saw a picture of you, he said, click, got you, before he formed the earth. 
He knows you. He formed you. He planned you. You're not an accident. You're absolutely purposeful, intentional in God's purposes. And, I, and the Holy Spirit is like working in us to bring, bring us up to a different level. And we need to start confessing to ourselves that we are the beloved of God. We are his bride. We are his intentional purpose. And the Holy Spirit is bringing it about. There's a shift in our thinking coming about. At one stage Graham said, uh, he talked about he was worthy of the price that Jesus paid. And I thought, I don't know that I could say that. God, I'm worthy of the price you paid for me. But what I'm doing is lining up with God's opinion. Because he says, you're worth what I paid for you. So, low self-esteem and low self-worth have got no place. Because you're worth what I paid for you. Otherwise, you're not speaking the language of heaven. So, I want you to turn to each other and say, I'm worth what God paid for me. It's hard. I ha and I said it out. I said, Lord, I don't know if I can say this. I spoke it out and he said to me, you're speaking the language of heaven. <clears throat> so I say to every one of you, you are worth what God paid for you. He says so. <laughs> so if you've got a different opinion, guess who's out of line? Okay. We have got to do this shift in our thinking. Because when you suddenly start to say, Okay, then I'm worth what you paid for me. You move into a different place. You position yourself differently before God. And that will affect the way you petition Him. Because it will affect how you ask Him for things. Because the perspective that you're using to see yourself changes your position, changes your petition. Yeah, so you're like a king's son rather than... You're, you're not praying like a widow, you're praying like a bride. Yeah. So when he says, "What would you, what up to half the kingdom?" I've been asking for things this morning. I can't even remember what they are, but I got bold before God, and I'm saying, "Can I ask for this?" Well, give it up. <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember what it was. It must have been God inspired because I can't remember what it was. So I asked for it. Thought, oh, I feel better. I've asked for it. That's nice. Lovely. Mm -hmm. So, Beatitudes, week five. So, uh, as I was pondering on this, uh, the next subject for the Beatitudes, God spoke uh, Philippians 2 5 into my heart. Let this mind be in you, which was also. In Christ Jesus it's all about your mind isn't it how you think and you choose what you fill that with I'm choosing to think bigger stand in a different place it's not an arrogance it's an ex it's it's accepting what Jesus actually did for us it's like he's been waiting all this time for his bride to come into alignment and finally God's come down and said they're never going to get it if I don't go down there and actually show them <laughs> I've tried this way, that way, the other way oh, out of the way everybody just got to get down there and face them up with it 
You are my beloved. I adore you. Whatever you think of yourself, I'm telling you, you are my girlfriend. So he finishes off with that. He says, I'm gonna, he's, he said, uh, now you fellows are going to find this difficult, but you're God's girlfriend. <laughs> I'm the girlfriend of God, he said. I'm going to go around telling people I'm the girlfriend of God. <laughs> They'll have, have him run in for a start. <laughs> All right, so Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going to be talking about what it means to be in Christ Jesus, incidentally. The next baton, I was saying to June that the whole flavour of the baton meetings are, are, are completely changing because the, the title sounds so boring, but hopefully the content is not boring at all. Like, you know, biblical submission. And the and, and June already said one of our numbers, said, I'm not going to that, there's enough about submission in my life already. <laughs> so I said, the subtitle is Leaning on the Beloved. How do you like that? Because as I came to study the whole subject of biblical submission, what came out was, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her Beloved? The whole thing is about God bringing us from a place of rank rebellion into peaceful and loving submission to his lordship. That's what it's about. So I've taken 20 pages to say that. <laughs> and then I'll be talking about what it really means to be in Christ Jesus. Because a lot of us are still struggling to get in, not realising we're already there. So... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death of the cross. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have what we call pleased to call church here on Sunday and we had some new people come, a husband and wife, uh, and we were talking over the lunch table about, they came at, at about half past ten, all of them, and the last ones left at half past five. <laughs> That's a long church meeting. <laughs> long church meeting. <laughs> uh, and we were talking about what leadership meant. And I know that when I s gave him what I, my view of leadership, which is servanthood, thought it not robbery, took on a form of a servant, he said, I'd never thought of it like that before. And he's actually in leadership in one of the one of the churches up until recently. And I thought, no, that is really interesting. Because it explains so much that if the leadership don't realise that they're servants, and the very name deacon means servant, so if someone's so proud of being a deacon, oh, you're proud you're a servant, eh? Good. That's what it means. That we are servants. Leadership are servants of the body. Um, I've heard also that uh, a church that's in problems has said maybe the mistake we made was that we didn't 
um, teach the body to, to hear God and you know to, to, to what is it it's that Ephesians scripture isn't it for the building up the fivefold ministries for the building up of the church for the uh, ministry for the work of the ministry that was the scripture that was used that maybe that's where we went wrong that we focused on building buildings and not building people maybe what God was saying when he meant build was not building buildings but building people but the way we find out is that we go a long way in the wrong direction then suddenly he stops us out of his kindness and we have to retrace our steps don't we back but we never lose from it we learn from it so it was really interesting that the whole thought of leadership was servanthood and it hadn't occurred equipping the saints for the work of the ministry that was it that was it couldn't think of it for a minute so that passage the whole thing speaks of submission a submissive posture a submissive heart a humble heart and a willing heart and this is God himself uh, Jesus came to put a face on God and this is God himself taking the form of a servant in Peter I think it says clothe yourself therefore and it means apron yourself put an apron on because you're about to serve interesting and so the Beatitudes blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's two things there where you get the kingdom is if you're poor in spirit and you're persecuted. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Make sure that it's falsely that they're speaking against you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So this whole thing speaks of a nature contrary to the one that we have, the one we were born with, and points out where God's going to need to make mid-course corrections, or as Graham would say, it shows the area where that God's going to kiss next. I think that's a lovely way of putting it. When you get under conviction, it's just the place where he's going to kiss next, or if the enemy is poking at you over something, it's just the area where God's going to kiss next. All his dealings with us are for our profit. He's training us in righteousness, in desiring the right things. He's working to train us for a noble future, reigning and ruling with his son. And he'll take us round these lessons again and again. It's a fact that we are actually going to reign and rule with Jesus. We are co-heirs with him and we will reign with him June and I were talking about this the other day she said I don't particularly want to reign I said tough it's in the job description <laughs> she 
See, I want to be in the temple day and night. I said, you got that as well. <laughs> um, there were those last century who were greatly influenced by Dr. Schofield. Any of you got anybody got a Schofield Bible? No. Very interesting one. I've got one here. He wrote the footnotes in the Schofield Bible. And his view was that the Beatitudes for when the kingdom came on earth and they couldn't possibly be lived out in this lifetime. He maintained that they were spoken to the Jews who subsequently rejected this way of life. And he says that the epistles are for us, but not the sermon itself. But actually the epistles are the outworking of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Paul's interpretation to make it simpler for us. He actually says... Um, the Sermon on, on the Mount, oops, a small print, in its primary application gives neither the privilege nor the duty of the church. So, but his notes, the Schofield notes, are absolutely excellent. They really are. Um, it's got loads of, loads of notes all the way through. Brilliant um, notations on the names of God right early on. Um, gives gives all the Hebrew names and it's worth having a Schofield Bible I expect they do it now in an NIV or something but the ones that I've got are all uh, King James but uh, just if you do happen to have one just don't take too much notes of what he says about the Sermon on the Mount but apart from that it's brilliant Um, this is why Galatians and Corinthians are so similar to the Sermon on the Mount if you line them up. So it's quite a remarkable view from Dr. Schofield given that Jesus is talking to his disciples and giving them rules for holy living. As I said, it is a mine of information and it's only that one segment that's questionable. It's only one sentence there. So as we continue to look at the Beatitudes, it's quite remarkable how they line up both with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace or patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness or faithfulness, gentleness or meekness, and self-control. And the classic love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love not, does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Doesn't seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. This is because what we're looking at is the nature of God, the character of Jesus, which he wants to form in us. And Romans 8.29 tells us, here we go, for whom he foreknew, took that picture, click, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, those he also glorified. And one more, Colossians 3, 1-3. to 3. 
if or since, as Roger Price's ifs would say, you were raised with Christ, because you have been raised with Christ, it's not an if, perhaps you are, perhaps you're not, you are. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or set your affections, that's a decision, it's something you do, you don't drift around. I said to the Lord this morning when I was having my quiet time, I'm just getting my magnetic north. So I felt that like I was being pulled away a bit and I was just setting, getting my compass onto him. Set your mind on things above or set your affections on things above, not on the earth beneath. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I was saying to Joyce the other day, it's like... Um, this is this is you in here and your life is hidden in Christ and Christ is in God you're double wrapped can't get out of that you're in there in Christ in God Jesus was fully man So Jesus was fully man. In his humanity, he fulfilled his father's commission to set us free from the effects of the fall and the sin of the first Adam. In his humanity, he had exactly the same tools, if you like, as we have. The indwelling Holy Spirit. So when he, he asks us to be holy as I am holy, he's only asking us to let his spirit have dominion over us. It's simply a case of yielding to the present moment in him. Our lives can become quite simplified if we will walk in yielding to the present moment in God. Yes, it takes discipline and practice, but that is what we have the indwelling Holy Spirit for, to help us. What was I saying to Lenive when desire and discipline get married, they produce delight. That's one of Graham's. She kept saying, what is it? Was it when desire and discipline get married, they produce delight? And we do need desire, which is given to us by God, but we need the discipline to produce the delight. And that's most often where we fall down, is the discipline of doing the things. You know, like we're, we're told to do something, like keep a journal, but the discipline slips. And, and we're the ones that lose, actually, because he wants us to be able to look back on those things and see how he was there right the way through. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside as the paraclete. Now I looked this up in my uh, ordinary dictionary on the laptop which is really quite interesting and it gives Christianity Holy Spirit. In Christianity the Holy Spirit. 13th century via French paraclete literally someone called to assist from ultimately the Greek Parakaline, which is literally to call to your side, from Kaline, K-A-L-E-I-N, to call. I'm constantly surprised what I find in in the ordinary dictionary. It's really it's really good to to pop into it and see what they say. So we have a paraclete to help us, and we need never be at a loss if we'll call upon him. Jesus was made in the likeness of men and found in fashion as a man. It's Philippians 2, 7 and 8. 
So he had everything we have. And someone pointed out the other day that uh, neither Satan nor Adam and Eve had an old sin nature when they chose to disobey God or to step away from him. And I thought that is really so interesting. There was nothing in them pulling them. All they had was free will. And when we're born again, our old sin nature has been crucified with Christ, so all we have is free will. Exactly the same equipment and the Holy Spirit backing us up behind. So let's just look at the first four Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They have a need and they recognise it. Blessed are they that mourn. They're broken. They're open to correction. Blessed are the meek. They submit. They don't resist the hand of God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're yearning after God and they give priority to their relationship with him. Someone came here yesterday evening made us laugh so much. He's walking along the street and suddenly God asked him a string of questions. Is loving God your first priority? Yes. No, it isn't. Is loving Jesus your first priority? Yes. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> what was the other one? It was... Uh, there were five questions were there and each one he said yes it is and God said no it isn't <laughs> because where God was coming from was I said no I, before he could get it out I said he initiates we respond he said that's it exactly because God was saying is loving God your first priority yes it is no it isn't responding to my initiative is your first priority <laughs> that's it so loved that's it that we we must get it back to the fact that we respond to his initiation we can't do anything unless he gives us the tools to do the job we're just like kids you know i want to buy you a present daddy can i have some money it's exactly like that you know how your children always used to do that's your birthday mum can i have some money please to buy you a present and it's exactly like that it takes the strain off it when you have not got to initiate something. All you need to do is to respond. So he challenges you about something and, the, and it's guilty. As Steve Sampson would say, do you remember Joyce? Just plead guilty. No good trying to excuse yourself. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And without recognition of our need, we'll never come into the category of the first beatitude. As we admit that without him we can do absolutely nothing, we place ourselves in alignment with God's view, expressed by Jesus in John 15:5. Without me, you can do nothing. He didn't mean you can't live your life. He meant without my life being expressed through your life, you can do nothing of lasting value. Nothing that will affect eternity. Because I am your source, your wellspring. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Stay connected to me and you will bear fruit of lasting value. Disconnected from me, you will bear nothing of lasting value. 
We know well enough by now that God is using the circumstances and situations in our lives to form Christ in us. He stated that that's his intent. He will not rest himself until Christ is formed in us. So our best attitude towards this is yielding to the present moment in God. So we're faced with an impossible task to be like Christ. But God never tells us to do something without providing the tools for the job. And the first tool is the complete work of Jesus on the cross. He did not say it is half finished or it's almost done, you need to do the rest. He said teleos, it is finished. Teleos is the Greek word which was written against an invoice or a bill which was paid in full. Two lines under. T-E-L-I-O-S. It meant it's paid. So I think we touched on this last week. What's the question? The question is, which side of the cross are you living? Are you living to try to get to the cross and put everything there? Are you aiming for a makeover of the person you were before conversion? Or are you living in resurrection life, in the grace and mercy of God, on the other side of the cross? Are you living in the promised land? In which case you will come into the language of promise, which is one of Graham's books, just sitting there on the table. Are you living and appropriating by faith the finished work of Jesus? Or are you still struggling to get through hating every moment and most of the time wanting to stop the world and get off. Drop off, backslide, stop being a Christian for a while. If you're doing the latter, you're still in Egypt. You're still a bond slave of the enemy who has, cre has prevented you from fully entering into the exchange that was made at the cross. You probably pop to the cross, lay your sins there and pop away again. Do that on a regular basis. But we need to bring ourselves to the cross. We've, positionally, we've been there. Because Romans tells us that we were crucified with Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but now we're dead in Christ. And that happened 2,000 years ago. That's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 are so imperative. That you present your bodies every day a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be transformed by the renewing of your mind that's metamorphosed like a butterfly by the renewing of your mind and only the renewed mind can test and approve what God's good acceptable and perfect will is you cannot prove that in your old mindset you need your renewed mind to understand what the good, acceptable and perfect will of God is. And it's good. So not only did God impute righteousness to you at the moment you were born again. We'll go through these 37 things of Roger Price's, I think, in the coming weeks. Because when you start to see what he did, you begin to come into your inheritance, the promised land, and you can live in a place of grace, freely making your decisions before God and not being too disturbed if you think you've got it wrong because you're understanding that you are moving in the grace 
and the mercy of God. And he's not a slave driver. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, it says in Galatians. So if you're still in Egypt, you are still under that bondage. But we're not children of the slave girl or Hagar. We're children of the free with Sarai, Sarah. So not only did God cover us with his righteousness, he imparted it. Do you remember the, pic, the, the, the thing I used with the hanky over the top and then he working it in? The working in of it is impartation. He works it in. And it's his work, not ours. He does it. How many times have you been through a trial and you've, you're hopefully learning everything that, that God has been teaching you? If you haven't, you go around it again until you hear and understand what he's teaching you. That is him imparting righteousness into you. You can't do it. You simply get to worship him, thank him, bless him for what he's done and what he is doing, and you get to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Because the second tool he's given is the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. He applies it. As you yield, the Holy Spirit applies it. He imparts Christ's righteousness to you, in you. So you get to understand two things. What he's doing in you and what he's doing through you. Brilliant. So the cross not only represents forgiveness... The most important thing it carried away for you was your fallen Adamic nature, your self-life. He took your self-centeredness that you might become God-centered. When he was nailed to the cross, it was nailed to the cross. You remember I'm fond of saying about the black dog and the white dog, and I'd heard Graham say he didn't like that story, and then I found out why. Because it isn't really a question of which dog we feed. The black one is dead. And you can try to feed that thing till kingdom come, but it won't move because it's dead. What are still alive are your habits. Your thinking patterns, your habitual way of looking at things. And that is why we have to put into practice, as I said just now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, every day. Present your bodies, therefore, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind. And why we must constantly make choices for God and not against him. It's all to our profit. We are not losing something, we're gaining something. As Anne McGill found out when she decided to stop smoking. I spoke to her yesterday and she's doing great. It's taken all this time for God to line her will up behind his will so that now she can do the stopping smoking. Every time she tried before, she said, I don't really want to do it. But she was trying to do it. And of course, it was not successful. But because there are two wills at work, the will of the Holy Spirit and your will, now the Holy Spirit has got her will moved. And she said she could hear yesterday a voice saying, oh, you really are suffering from these withdrawal symptoms. And she suddenly said to herself, No, I'm not. Where's that coming from? 
and she began to realise how the enemy was feeding things in. She phoned me the other day because she was having trouble with her teeth. And she said, I want them out. She says, four of them giving me terrible gyps. So a dentist won't take them out because there's nothing wrong with them. I said, neither should he. It's spiritual warfare, dear. She was absolutely astonished. I said, if you've got a problem and a pain and there's nothing physically wrong, it is not natural. It's spiritual warfare. And she was absolutely flying when I spoke to her yesterday because it was a key for her. She could then see and then she began to hear the thoughts that were being fed into her. Oh, you poor old thing. You really could do with a drag, you know, have a fag. No. And the devil will try to tell you you're losing something, that you're being deprived, because this has been his pitch from the beginning, and it's a lie. You must recognise that he is a liar, and has been from the beginning. If God is asking something from, from you, or of you, it's for your ultimate good. He's not depriving you. He's going to give you something. He didn't spare his own son. So work it out. And as Amanda would say, bring it on. Because he is not depriving you, but the enemy will say you are being deprived. This is why there's always such a battle. Romans 6.11 says, reckon, and the Greek is the word <laughs> logizomai, L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I, and it means account, conclude, account, esteem, impute, extend a quality to someone else, to regard a quality such as righteousness that applies to somebody as also applying to another person associated with him or her. Reason, reckon, suppose, think yourselves therefore to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that is the important thing. For years I've read books on how to die to self. I mean they seem to focus on that all the time. So what that did was focused on what you were giving up, if you see what I mean. And Graham comes along and he says, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you focus on being alive to God in Christ, the other thing will wither and die. But if you focus on trying to give something up, all you'll be focused on is trying to give, ask anybody who's been on a diet. The first thing you think about is what you can't have. Mm. And you feel deprived. You are in Christo. You are in Christ. And as I said before, when I'm making the fist there, whether you like it or not, believe it or not, you are in Christ and Christ is in God. You are double wrapped. If you can get a hold of this, you can go free from the constant struggle against your old nature, which was crucified with Christ. You reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. God is all about life, not death. Satan's all about death, not life. Everything he will minister to you will ultimately bring you spiritual, if not physical, death. We've just had an example of it with Joyce. He fostered in her resentment, 
and unforgiveness and bitterness towards God and other people which resulted in a physical manifestation because he's the author of it. She repents, sees what God's talking about, gets the thing removed, is left her body. What we think, how we see God, if we're resentful it will eventually end up affecting our physical body because it's satanic, demonic and it ministers death to us. That's the way it goes. I want to be living life and more abundantly. That is your inheritance. To walk in the favour of God. The grace, the mercy, the kindness, the love, the forbearance, the understanding of your Heavenly Father. You start doing this and you'll put such a smile on God's face and such a pain in the enemy's backside, you wouldn't believe it. Because you will soon know that you're actually uh, walking into your inheritance because the spiritual warfare will hot up and you'll recognise that you are and you'll be laughing just the same as the Holy Spirit said to me recently smile I'm smiling what is a smile I'm smiling because <laughs> I was going through something and it was painful physically uh, but he wanted me to smile because it was not a healing issue it was a demonic attack because I was causing a bit of problems so it's a matter of choice you can believe and walk in newness or you can doubt and walk under the circumstances and struggle you get to choose you can believe and that's a choice and walk in newness or you can doubt and walk under the circumstances and struggle so the next time we're going to look at an attitude of doubt versus an attitude of faith and looking at what it really means to be in Christ. It's good news. So bless you. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Thank you.